Hello, I'm Evan Reese, an Asia-Pacific analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is being brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. It's just like going to war. Training and preparation is everything. We have battle drills, react to ambush near and far. Those things are just a baseline of what make us successful. When you're on the battlefield, you move out, you draw fire, you evolve, you adapt, you overcome. The same is true with writing a story. Welcome to the Stratfor Podcast. I'm Faisal Pervez. On today's Pen and Sword podcast with Fred Burton, we're having a conversation with a retired U.S. Army infantry captain who saw some of the worst fighting in the Afghan war. Sean Parnell took those experiences and turned them into a career as a leadership mentor, philanthropist, and novelist. His latest novel, All Out War, is the second in a series of thrillers about an elite warrior named Eric Steele. Stratfor's chief security officer, Fred Burton, is quite the fan. So naturally, he invited Parnell on the podcast. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Sean Parnell, the author of All Out War. Sean is the best-selling author of Outlaw Platoon and the novel Man of War. Sean, thank you for being on Stratfor Talks today. Hey, I'm really excited to be here. You know, I've been uh, trying to get a chance to talk to you on the phone and uh, for a long time. I feel like we've exchanged emails uh, for years now, but I've never had the opportunity to talk in person. So... I'm excited. I'm excited about it. Well, you should be. Tell me about All Out War. Well, All Out War is the second book uh, in the Eric Steele saga. And so just to take a step back, Eric Steele um, was a character that I wrote in the image of my troops on the battlefield. Um, I wrote Outlaw Platoon when I came back from Afghanistan after a hellish deployment to Afghanistan. I wrote Outlaw Platoon to make sure that the legacy of my troops was captured, you know, that's a great read, by the way, for uh, folks listening to this podcast. Uh, I can't say enough good things about Outlaw Platoon. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I'm. I was just as surprised. I, I got to say, I was probably more surprised than anybody else at the success of that book. You know, I, my platoon took eighty five percent casualties when we were over there. I had some guys wounded twice, some my three God. times. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy. We were sort of thrown into a, a meat grinder in Afghanistan, and we really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. And if you remember, Fred, this was back in two thousand and five, where the eyes of this nation were wholeheartedly fixated on the Iraq War and the right. the, the, the debate about the surge. Right, that was on the news every single day, and so. As we were training up for our deployment to Afghanistan, we weren't getting any intelligence from the front lines. I mean, it was very sparse. So we didn't really, I mean, we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. And we got there. I mean, man, we were just, it was just hell on earth for 485 days. And, you know, one of the things that I realized when I came back very quickly was that, you know, the people that enjoy freedom on a day to day basis in this country don't really know a whole heck of a lot uh, about the people that defend it. And so, I just really felt like it was my job as the leader to write a book that captured the legacy of my troops. So really, that was my motivation for writing in the first place. They got no, I've got no background in it. You know, I, I'm not a writer, a traditional English lit writer, so to speak. Um, and so I wrote Outlaw Platoon and it took off in its first week. It was a bestseller. I think in its first year on sale, it was a New York Times bestseller for 28 weeks, which yeah. is just, it's just crazy, Fred, because 
I was like a, I was a nobody. I was a no name captain <laughs> back then, fresh out of the military, hadn't been out for more than a year. I guess long story short, Outlaw Platoon Success gave me the opportunity to write fiction. And, you know, after in the wake of Outlaw Platoon, I dedicated my life to helping veterans and trying to bridge that cultural gap between veterans and American society. And I realized that it was a significant one. And so I tried to like war game different ways of trying to bridge that divide. And, you know, mainstream fiction was one of those ways, just tapping into the culture and help ed- helping to educate Americans on what makes American warriors tick. You know, let me hold you there and ask you this question. I, I've written nonfiction stories. How did you bridge that gap? Walk us through how you did that, because we have a lot of folks that listen to our podcasts that are writing books or want to get published. So uh, how did you go about that doing that? You know, it was so hard, Fred. I mean, the whole style of, of nonfiction, I mean, it's totally different than fiction. And I had the benefit of working with John Bruning on my on my first book. You know, who basically I mean, I tried to write Outlaw Platoon by myself. I, I realized very quickly that I, I didn't have the skill set to do it. You know, um, I wasn't a writer. Um, so I enlisted the help of John Bruning and he really taught me everything, man, about how to tell a good story, about how to have it dramatically unfold so that the reader is on pins and needles the whole time. So I sort of took that mentality and brought it to the thriller world. And I just honestly, Fred, it was just a matter of writing, you know, writing, 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 trying to get better with each iteration and you know, the man of war that is on the shelves now, which is my first fiction book, um, that's the fourth or fifth iteration of that story. I mean, I had I mean, I would write and get 100 pages into it and it either didn't feel quite right or my editor thought that it wasn't economical enough or wasn't in keeping with what was out there already. So I just had to have I just had to say, OK, I'm going to scrap this and I'm going to start over. I did that four or five times until I finally got the formula right, you know, economical on the page, fast moving plot, deep characterization. And it just took time, man. It just took, you know, it was just a matter of like, when you decide to do something, at least for me, like, I'm all in, you know, I'm knocking on right. the door until my knuckles bleed. And I feel like in the publishing world, and I don't have to tell you this, Fred, because you know it, it is it is a really tough industry to break out in. It's a really tough industry to be a part of. And so, I mean, for me, it was just knocking on that door and practicing, practicing, practicing until I got it right. And eventually, uh, eventually I did with Man of War and I sort of have that formula in my mind and I and I I rely on it every time I, I type words on the page. So with All Out War, which is published uh, September the 3rd, talk me through your process. Uh, I mean, for example, I get up real early and I write in the morning. So that's the only time that I can find myself uh, able to write. When do you write? How do you write? What's your uh, M.O.? Yeah, so that's 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 the same as me, Fred. I, I've got three little kids, um, 10, 8, and 6. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so like the moment that their eyes crack open in the morning, it is, it's utter pandemonium, right? And so I have to get all of my writing done either in the morning or after they go to bed at night. Um, but the truth of the matter is with fiction, I'm always – it's always on my mind. It's always, it's always in my, it's always in my head. So even when I, even when I stop writing in the morning, right, I'm always thinking about the characters or decisions that they might make or conflicts that they might face, um, all in the hope of developing and outlining a, a kick-ass story. And so what I do, you know, I'm, I'm 25,000 words right now into the third Eric Steele book, right? And the way that I do it is I'll say, okay, I'm going to build this story 
around five of the most original, intense action scenes that I can possibly think of. And I'm going to use those action scenes as waypoints in the story. So for me, I always like to start with Blood and Thunder right off the bat, get the reader hooked with either you know an action scene around my main character, Eric Steele, or the villain. You know, And so the bottom line is I, I feel like the books that I write, they really are filled with a lot of action. But in between the action is really where I do a deep dive on who these characters are, what makes them tick, their internal psychology and their internal conflicts and the external conflicts. And I feel like those sorts of things, even more so than the action, those scenes where bullets aren't cracking by people's heads are probably the most important. So I start with I start with five or six action scenes to write a book around, and then I start doing a deep dive on the characters, and I just write from waypoint to waypoint, and those waypoints are my action scenes. That's very good advice. So it sounds like, at least in your mind, you have a structured outline that you begin with, or at least a, a working theory on the direction you're going to go. Oh, yeah. Look, this is, this is, this is you know, it's just like going to war. Training and preparation is everything. Now, sure, like you've got our, we, you've got the FMs, the field manuals that we use to operate in the field, right? And we have battle drills, right? React to ambush, near and far. Um, all of those things are just a baseline of what make us successful. When you're on the battlefield, you move out, you draw fire, you evolve, you adapt, you overcome. The same is true with writing a story. Planning is essential. It doesn't mean that you can't deviate from the outline along the way, because ultimately, as a writer, you sort of go where your characters take you, right? And it's it's those characters' decisions that take them to certain places. So I, I try not to move through fiction stories with blinders on and say, okay, my character's at point A, he must get to point B, and he has to do it this way. No, the characters have a say in that. So, you know, uh, when I'm doing an outline, one of the first things I try to develop is, is a theme, right? And that theme goes part and parcel with, with I think, is the purpose of every story, a strong moral question, right? Um, and, and stories oftentimes present these moral questions to their audience to help them grow and learn along the way as well. And so the theme in All Out War is, is are you a man or are, are you a slave, right? And so Eric Steele and the villain in All Out War, Zakayev, they have the same mission and they do the same thing for their respective governments, Zakayev is a slave and he resents and hates the fact that he's been used and abused his entire life to do the bidding of the kings, right? The so-called kings. He's just been a pawn the whole time. Eric Steele, is the, he does the same thing. You know, he's a special forces captain doing the biddings of his commander. He gets recruited into the alpha program where he directly reports to the president of the United States. And he does the bidding of other two. But the reconciliation of that moral question in the end of the story is Eric Steele realizes that no – He's not a slave. It's the altruistic tendencies of the mission that separate him from Zakayev, and he, he is, in fact, a servant, right? And so the questions and the moral quandaries that Eric Steele faces along the way, Fred, they're drawn directly from my experience as a platoon leader, directly from the things that I witnessed on the battlefield, and written in the image of my men who are oftentimes faced with the same moral questions. And the number one question of which, Fred, and I know this is something that you get too, is is the mission worth it? Right. Is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is the cost worth it? Because at the end of the day, we're not the only ones that deploy. You know, mothers and fathers are a part of it too. Spouses are as well. 
children are as well. And they all bear the emotional scars of, of our deployments, right? And so Eric Steele has that question on the forefront of his mind, is the mission worth it? He just went through hell in the first book, Man of War. And this book meets up with him six months later where he's having dinner at his house with his mom and he gets attacked and his mom is wounded seriously and you don't know if she's gonna live or die. And Eric Steele, not only is he now questioning the mission, but he's now questioning, okay, now my mom in a physical way was implicated as well. And so while this, our spouses and parents and loved ones, yeah, they bear the emotional scars of our deployments. They might not be physically injured, but Eric Steele is going through the same thing. And the same moral quandaries that he faces in these books are exactly the same ones that our men and women in uniform do as well. We'll get back to Sean Parnell and Fred Burton in just a moment. In the novel All Out War, a plan is set in motion that could shatter international alliances and prompt a global crisis. It's the stuff of fiction. But in today's world, international alliances are constantly under pressure. Keeping track of those dynamics is Stratfor's business. Stratfor forecasts the key political, economic, security, and business trends that drive global developments, helping members make sense of an increasingly complicated world. If you're not already a Stratfor member, you can learn more at stratfor.com slash enterprise. Now, let's get back to Sean Parnell and Fred Burton. I can say this after reading All Out War. Clearly, Sean, uh, you're very passionate on this topic, putting All Out War together. Uh, when you when you look at this kind of thriller, are you influenced by others? For example, who do you read when you have some downtime? Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, okay, so the last book that I read was Needful Things by Stephen King. And, man, he is sort of a uh, perverse kind of <laughs> – he comes up with some crazy stuff. Right. But his books, his books are absolutely stunning. I mean, and politically, he and I could word about as polar opposite as you could possibly imagine. But <laughs> his book, Needful Things, was an incredible book. Um, but within the thriller genre, I mean, Brad Thor is a guy that I've looked to for a real long time. Brad's a good friend of ours, and uh, he has been – extraordinarily helpful to to me and my books as well. He's just an all-around great guy, isn't he? He really is. And so I read his first book, uh, Lions of Lucerne, on combat outpost Margot when we were building that, that combat outpost. And I remember thinking as I was reading that book, if I am lucky enough to make it home alive, I'm going to put everything I have into accomplishing my dream, and that's and that's trying to write fiction someday. Now, nonfiction was never – I mean, it really – I sort of like started with nonfiction – precisely because I realized the importance of making sure the legacy of my men was captured. But I've loved fiction all my life, and I always thought it would be amazing to write a fiction book. In it, But it was Brad Thor on the front lines of combat in Afghanistan that really sort of captured the magic for me. I never really thought at the moment that I would have the opportunity to do it, Fred. Um, but now I do, and I just try to I, – I really do try to write in his image a lot. You know, he, he really is the, the king of the genre, and I try, to, I try to emulate him as much as I can. Well, there's no one better in the business. Uh, you should be proud of what you've accomplished, Sean, because uh, I'm staring at the cover of your new book, All Out War, and I see Brad Thor's testimonial blurb on the top. And also, I, I have to say this. I applaud your publisher. You have a beautiful jacket copy uh, in the design phase of, of the book. It's very well done. Thank you. Thank you. I, I I feel like I am so lucky and so blessed to have just an amazing publishing team. Not everybody has the same experience that I do. And I feel like everybody on my team, from David Highfield, who's my editor, to on down, is just a true believer in everything that I do. And 
you know, again, this fiction world is hard. This genre is crowded. There are a lot of great writers out there. And so just to be able to to have a publishing team that believes in you and takes a chance on you and they put everything they have into the, into this cover, right, and make it cutting edge, something that would stand out on the shelf, I just – I look in the mirror every day and I pinch myself every morning and, and I just thank God that I have the opportunity to do what I do. Well, you've been very successful at it. Now, what's on the horizon? Now, you said you're on to book number three. Is this a continuation of uh, the Eric Steele series? Yes, yes. I'm so excited about it. I'm 25,000 words into Eric Steele in the third book in the Eric Steele saga. And so Eric Steele goes through a lot in the first two books. You know, he goes through – well, he goes to hell and back, really. In, in the third book, what I'll tell you about the third book right now is it's no holds bar. Um, there is a there is a traitor in the midst of the Alpha program. No one knows who that person is, and the book starts with Alphas. There's only nine of them. You know, the, I, I sort of created the Alpha program um, coming back from Afghanistan. It's like you know, Fred. You know how this goes. Like, <laughs> you know, we would get high value targets, or we'd get even medium value targets. We know where they were. And we have to go hire for approval authority. And one government agency is talking to the other. And by the time we'd get the clearance or the green light to go get them, they wouldn't be there anymore. And I'd be pulling our hair out on the front line thinking, yeah. well, God, just let us fight this fight, you know? Yeah, if the, so, pub- if the public only knew, right? <laughs> you know, God, that is, that's the God's honest truth. And so I came up with the Alpha program sort of in the same image of the U.S. Special Forces Green Berets. There are nine Alphas in the world. Each of them are responsible for a different geographic area of the globe. Each of them has their own specialty. Uh, and Eric Steele is the youngest, most talented alpha uh, ever. And alphas report directly to the to the president of the United States. There's no bureaucratic red tape. The president says, go fix the situation, and alphas go, right? And so the book starts – book three starts with alphas dying and Eric Steele not knowing who he can trust. And this is a real challenge for him because Eric Steele has lost people that he loves along the way, and there really isn't anybody anybody left for him. So he's sort of left to figure it out on his own, and and things hit the fan for him in a big way in, in the third book. Well, that sounds uh, tremendous. I can't wait till that comes that comes out. Now, tell me about the American Warrior Initiative. I know this is a project of yours. Uh, explain to yes. me what that is for our listeners. Well, so when I came back from 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 Afghanistan, as I mentioned, I just realized that veterans were really struggling. And in many cases, the real war does not start until our men and women come home. And, you know, in many ways, when veterans come home, because such a small percentage of veterans serve, only 0.4 percent serve, um, veterans in many ways can feel like exiles in their own country. Their country, men and women, don't understand what they went through, and they can feel isolated. And that isolation can lead to suicide uh, or, or alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever. I mean, you've seen the news headlines. It's, it's a tough time to be a veteran in America. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity uh, to start to co-found uh, the American Warrior Initiative, which is a special organization because we were lucky enough to have a mortgage company and Fairway Mortgage come on board and they recognized the issues that our veterans face and they just said, look, we're going to fund your overhead. We're going to make sure that you get to where you need to, to get to accomplish this mission. Just go out there and do good things for our veterans and our first responders and their families. So they underwrite everything that we do and that allows us to give 100% of our donations to the cause which is which is unheard of right and so 
what we started focusing on recently uh, is giving service dogs to veterans. And so that's tremendous. It's, it's an, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing, Fred, because the re the, first of all, the need is dire. The wait lists are long. And by the time a veteran finds themselves at the top of the list, oftentimes they can't afford the dog anyway. And so what we do is we're, we're a smaller organization. We have a real small staff, no bureaucratic red tape. We just get dogs into the hands of veterans as fast as possible and fully fund them and surprise a veteran on stage. It's, oh, it's, wow. it's, it's the greatest, most fulfilling job in the world. That's tremendous. Are, are most of them uh, Labradors or what kind are they? Well, it all depends on what the uh, what the veteran is struggling with. As as I got smarter in this whole service dog world, I realized that different breeds are 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 better for different afflictions. Labradors are a great all around dog. I mean, they do great with PTSD. But really, what we do is we just uh, we we partner with great service dog organizations who can answer all of those questions and say, okay, the veteran's struggling with a serious traumatic brain injury. Maybe a Labrador might not be the best bet for him. Maybe what this guy needs is a German Shepherd because they're better for this specific affliction. So it's highly customized, and we've got subject matter experts that are a heck of a lot smarter on this subject than me. And really what it boils down to is we just rely on them for the pairings. Well, I can't thank you enough for what you do with that, Sean, uh, the American Warrior Initiative. And so September 3rd, All Out War is published. Where will the book tour take you? Well, folks, so I'm going to Philadelphia. I'm going to be in New Jersey, back and forth to New York City, and I'm launching uh, the book on Fox and Friends on September 3rd. And then I'll be on Fox and different media outlets that whole week. So it's going to be fast and furious for the next week and a half. But again, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to do this stuff. Well, thank you, Sean, for being on Stratford Talks. And thank you for what you've done for our great nation. We, we really appreciate that. Thanks, Fred. I I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you for a little bit. Thanks for joining us for today's Pen and Sword podcast with author Sean Parnell and Fred Burden. We'll have details about Sean Parnell's book, All Out War, as well as Fred Burton's latest, Beirut Rules, and links to geopolitical analysis from Stratford in the show notes. If you're interested in learning how Stratford can help your business stay on top of global geopolitical developments, be sure to visit stratford.com slash enterprise. Don't forget to send suggestions about who you think Fred Byrne should interview next. Email them to podcast at stratford.com. Please leave a review on the podcast page on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more geopolitical intelligence and links to our content, follow us on Twitter at Stratford. I'm Faisal Pervez. Thanks for listening.